Kia ora. Welcome to Business Your Way, a podcast where I take you behind the scenes and look at the strategies, systems and support needed to grow and scale an online service business. Because you deserve a business that doesn't feel like work, one that gives you energy and the resources to do what matters most to you. Whether it's figuring out where to spend your time, how to maximize your profitability, or streamlining your processes so things get done quickly and efficiently, my guests and I, we've got you covered. I'm your host, Sandra Julian, Indigenous mama of three, fashion-loving sewist, and business strategist. Each week, I want to help you dream big, plan well, and do the work to grow and scale your business your way. Hey, Kristen, welcome to Business Your Way, the podcast. Lovely to have you here. Hi, Sandra. Thank you so much for having me today. You're welcome. I want to really kickstart by allowing you to introduce yourself, what you do, your background, and how you make your moolah. Yes. <laughs> well, I my name is Kristen. I live in Niagara, Ontario, so just north of the New York border, for those of you kind of listening in. Um, and I work as a business growth and system strategist in clients' businesses. So there's a couple different parts of what I do with my clients, but essentially it boils down to once your business is generating consistent revenue and you've got clients coming in, what you tend to be lacking now is time. All right. And with that comes this pressure and this stress of, oh my goodness, can I grow my business? Can I continue at this pace? And that's where I kind of get to kind of step in and help them figure out what kind of strategy and what kind of systems they need to put in place to help them really gain control of that chaos and feel really good about the business they're building and building a sustainable business that is going to be with them, you know, for, for time to come. And how did you get to be here? How did you get to be helping businesses behind the scenes and wrangle in all of that chaos? Where's your background come from? So there has been a long journey to kind of get to where I am today. When I finished school, I started actually in a law firm and I worked in commercial litigation, which meant we were processing and calling in loans from the big banks. And that happened a lot after the 2008 crash. And it didn't really sit well with my core values and what I went to school for. So I went to school for sociology and we focused on social justice. (laughs) And here I was on the other end of things. And so from there, I went back to school and I got a master's in sociology and then moved into the education sector. And I worked with students on goal setting and time management and breaking down the essay writing process into something that was manageable and figuring out how to study for exams when they had them back to back nights and that kind of stuff. And I loved that role. And then I decided to start a family and the corporate role wasn't really well suited to being a new mom with young kids and needing to leave for daycare pickups or if they got sick and things like that. And so I was also dealing with some health challenges after my second child, and I was Googling a lot of things to try and figure those things out on my own, trying to solve them in natural ways. And I came across, right, once you Google, Google hits you up then with all the ads. Um, And I started getting targeted with ads for health coaching. And so I looked into that and I got certified as a health and life coach by the Health Coach Institute in Chicago. And I started to build an online coaching business. And so like anyone else who is new to the online space, especially somebody who has no background in business, I started taking all of the courses I could get my hands on. And through doing that, you know, you join numerous Facebook groups and what have you. And what I found was because I had taken so many different courses, I had all of this knowledge that perhaps these students in this group didn't have. And I was spending all of my time 
helping them figure out the next steps and the next pieces to grow their business. And about six months into that, my partner says to me, you know, he says, so how's your business going? And I'm like, well, I don't have any clients. He's like, how can that be? You've been up there every night working at it for six months. And I said, well, (laughs) I haven't exactly been marketing my services. I've been helping all these other coaches. And that's kind of when things came full circle. And I'm like, wow, I was seven years of project management in corporate and commercial litigation working in the you know, university environment, teaching the students all these things. And now it's come full circle. It's like, this is it. This is the right space for me to kind of bring all of these pieces together and create something that's going to have an impact on the world at the level I want it to have. So then I got certified to become a director of operations. And, you know, the rest is kind of history from there. Nice. And so helping businesses behind the scenes, are you still helping health coaches or but what does your ideal client look like? Yeah, so it's it's not just health coaches. And actually, I, I've been working less and less with health coaches. And I don't, for no particular reason, other than just that, you know, I, I have different niches coming to me now. And so I work a lot with online service providers. So people who are maybe copywriters who are notorious for taking on more work <laughs> than they can probably get done in that time span and ending up working evenings and weekends and things like that. And I'm working with a lot of online coaches in the spiritual realm right now, actually, which is new to me because I am not a person who identifies as woo. <laughs> and yet I seem to attract those kinds of clients. And so, and then I'm working with someone who's a brand photographer. And so it's just a variety of different people who are serving as online service providers in their business that I'm now kind of helping them get that back end support that they need in order to be able to feel like they can then do the important things to grow their company. So I want to dive a bit into how you're structuring your business, because on this Business Your Way podcast, it's about looking behind the scenes and looking at how each individual business is abiding by some like core principles, if you like, but we're all doing business differently. So I want to talk a little bit about how you are structuring your business and is there just you or do you have a team and working one-on-one, how are you working with your clients? Yeah, so one of the great things about being a service provider versus any of the other business models out there is that you can actually do a whole lot with a very small team. So if you're running a course-based business or a membership-based business, you might need more members of your team to help you manage your community and the back-end tech and all of the funnels and Facebook ads and things like that. But when you're a service provider, you're really working a lot directly with your clients that you don't really need a lot of the moving parts and pieces of a back-end funnel. So I am fortunate enough that I hired a bookkeeper early on in my business and I have a wonderful part-time virtual assistant who supports me. And that's the extent of my team right now because I don't have all of those different moving parts and components that you might need for like a membership-based model or something like that. So I have surrounded myself with two fantastic women who kind of support me in my business growth in that way. And they also take some of that back-end administrative stuff off my plate. Like bookkeeping is not my forte. I, I will honestly share that at one point before I hired my bookkeeper, I was seven months behind on my books which is not good when you're running a business because you have no idea what your revenue is, your expenses, or never mind profit, if you're even actually making a profit. And so that was why I made the decision to hire that bookkeeper. And it's been one of the best decisions I've made in helping me keep my service-based business a profitable business. And have you noticed that now that you've got more of a handle on your figures and your profit and where your money's coming in, where your money's going out, you're making better decisions for your business? 
Absolutely, 100%. Especially in the online space, there are so many different places you can put your money, right? There's investing in programs and coaches, which I think is really, really important. But there's also, do we invest in paid traffic? Do we invest in this particular platform? And really, if you don't have a handle on your finances, it's very easy to overspend on a lot of different tech and systems and things like that that you might not actually need in your particular business model. And so let's talk about how you make your moolah. So you're the service provider. Do you have packages? Do you charge on an hourly rate? How does that look for you in relation to how you're charging your services moving into how that's contributing towards growing and scaling your business? Oh, I love this question. So I definitely do not charge an hourly rate. And I don't recommend that for anybody out there listening who is a service provider looking to grow and scale. Because as you get better at your craft, you just do it faster. And you don't want to be penalized for being better at something by, you know, taking home less money because now you're you're working less hours. And so I always recommend creating packages or what have you. So there's two different ways I work with my clients. One is a VIP day. And so I have a framework that we work through and it's for the day and it's a certain amount and that's what they pay and we work through the day and then there's 10 days of Slack support follow-up. And then the other way I work with clients is on a retainer basis. And so I have a look at what's happening in their business, whether they need me in a fractional capacity or whether or not they're looking for something that is more like part-time or kind of full-time hours and really get a sense of how many hours of my week I'm going to be in that business. And not I'm not saying like, again, dollars per hour, but I'm saying if it's going to take up 20% of my work week or 50% of my work week, then I look at what is it I need to bring in to support my team, to support my business and to support my family and pay the taxes to the government. And then I'm able to make the decision on how to really kind of structure those packages so that it meets my needs, but also is affordable for the service provider that I'm working with. And so my clients are typically hovering around that six figure mark. And then my retainer clients are typically hovering around the half a million mark. And so it's really gearing those two different types of packages to what that client can feasibly afford. I would never expect my just crossing six figures client to be able to afford that retainer package because they're not at that particular place in their business yet, which is why I have the different options. You said something just before, either it's a fractional contract or a part-time position. Can you just explain a little bit around how you look at those two different terminologies, fractional and part-time? Yeah, I mean, if we want to get wordsmith technical, we pro you probably could blend the two in the online space. But when I think of fractional versus part-time, I'm thinking part-time is like being more like half of my available time, right? Like a significant commitment. Whereas fractional might be five hours a week of my time or something like that. And so same thing, if you're a service provider and you're providing virtual assistant services or funnel building services, you know, again, you're thinking, is this something that is a five hour a week thing or like a 20 to 25 hour a week kind of thing? And I try and distinguish the two between like calling one fractional and one more like a, a part-time position, like you would think if you were working in corporate part-times, typically around 20 hours a week. That's a good differentiation because I've heard that term fractional more and more frequently, whereas before it was just like I was just part time and part time meant anything between, you know, five hours and 30 hours, if you like. So that, that's good to differentiate how you look at that. And so as a service provider, how are you thinking about scale in your business? Because working 
one-on-one with clients, it only gives you a certain amount of hours in the day. So only then a, a certain amount of income to come in once you've allocated your full hourly week out to clients. How are you thinking about scaling as a service provider? So that was one of the reasons why I added in the VIP model, because again, I, I can offer one VIP day a week. You know, I right now I just do two a month just because of the phase of my life that I'm in right now, but I could scale that up by moving to one a week. I could scale that up to moving to one and a half a week or two per week on top of my retainer clients. And so when I think of that, I'm thinking again, for the VIP day, they're paying for the day rather than you know you committing to an ongoing type project and so from there i can slowly increase the rates of those vip days in order to kind of scale my business a little bit more or perhaps down the road i might consider doing you know some passive income kind of product that leads them into the vip day but right now as a service provider i feel like i can scale just by deciding how many of these i want to offer each week and kind of playing around with that what feels right to me before i hit my capacity and and get myself you know start to decline in my self-care and then also like again the more buzz you generate it the more you get known in the space the more again it depends on what you do but the more your service is deemed as like quote unquote valuable then you can start to increase your rates and your fees according to that right so again it depends on the pain point that you're solving if it becomes a big enough pain point for your audience you can scale by increasing your your fee or your rate you know for what it is that you're doing would you ever consider having someone else come into your business to serve your clients in the same way that you are? Yeah, you know, I have contemplated a, like building out kind of an agency type model. For me right now, it's not the right business model just because I have young children at home still. And the amount of time and effort it takes to be able to train somebody to do it your way, to start taking that on. There is an overlap there where you're actually doing a little bit more during that training process before you end up doing a little bit less. And right now I just don't have the capacity to do that little bit more while my children are the age that they are. But it's definitely a model I would consider maybe when they're teenagers and they no longer care as much about mom (laughs) and bringing on somebody else to kind of be like a clone or a duplicate and training them in my framework to start delivering on some of that service. Yeah. Nice to know how you're thinking about that. All right, I want to switch just a little bit and talk about your role as the director of operations behind the scenes of other businesses. So firstly, why did you go down that track of feeling like you needed to be certified as a director of operations in order to do the work? Like, talk me through what led you down that path. Well, there's there's a definitely a couple of pieces to that. First is that I was working in university. I had already received a master's in sociology. I was just very geared to education and certifications and indoctrinated in the academic institution of needing credentials and qualifications. And so that was definitely a big part of it. The other part is for anyone who's familiar with the Strengths Finder test, learner is in my top five strengths. And so, you know, my husband actually jokes that if learning was a job, that that would be the only job for me. Like I, if I could get paid to learn and that's all I ever had to do with my life, then that would be the best job for me. And so I'm always learning. And then the other part of that was a mindset component. Honestly, Sandra, if I'm being 100% honest is there was in my mind, a mindset of if I'm going to charge people to do this and I have not been to business school and I don't have an MBA and whatever, I need to get some kind of qualification or credential. 
Now, after doing a lot of mindset work, I realized that that's not necessarily the case, but at the time I was chasing that qualification or that credential to ease my mindset around the service that I was going to be providing. That's super honest. Like, I really appreciate that, like, level of honesty and going, you know, it was all in my head and how I was thinking about what I needed to do in order to charge money. Because that's a huge part of it, too, is being in business, what do I charge? How do I charge it? Can I charge it? Am I worth it? All of those thoughts come into into our minds when we're thinking about how we're how we're charging in our money. So how, how's your mindset now around that? Like, where's your mind at now around the value of what you have and what you charge? I have since learned that a lot of the value that I bring is not necessarily translated directly into money. So when we're talking about operations, that's on the back end of your business, it's a little bit harder to start to see the return on that investment versus like front end marketing, right? You hire someone to build a funnel. As soon as that funnel, you know, hits the amount of money that someone, that person paid to build it, you know that they're, you've repaid for that return on that investment. But on the back end, it's it's things like time and stress and how you feel about growing your business. And so I've had to come to terms with the fact that the value that I am contributing to that business or that, you know, that business owner's mindset is not always reflected in dollars and cents. And that that sometimes holds a value all on its own, even though we can't necessarily put a numerical value to it. So again, that's been through mindset work I've done on my own and also through working with these businesses and seeing my clients, right? Like seeing the stress kind of melt away, see that overwhelm start to disappear because they have these other things in play because they have somebody supporting the back end of their business. And it's like, oh, well, now I see my value. Now I see that it's not always about how much money I can generate for that business, but how that business owner is now off that path for burnout and actually enjoying the business that they're building and seeing this as a long-term sustainable thing, which they were at one point second guessing because they were just so overwhelmed. So how much of what you're doing with your clients, you're coming in because they want their back end sorted, they want a more streamlined, smoother way of operating their business so they're enjoying it more. How much of that work that you're doing with them involves that mindset piece? Even though you've come into like, let's put some systems in place, let's put your SOPs in place, let's work out what you're automating, what you're delegating, who's doing what, in order to free up that business owner of that time pressure stress. How much of your role is, I don't want to say holding their hand, but really walking them through the way that they're thinking to get from overwhelmed to streamlined? You know, I'm, I'm so glad you asked that question because when I, when I decided to become a director of operations, I wasn't at all thinking about that mindset component. I was 100% thinking about operations, right? I manage their projects, I manage their teams, I manage their processes, I make their business more efficient. And then I got into the role and I was like, oh wait, there's an element of coaching and mentoring here, which thank goodness I went through to become a health and life coach because I had I had that, you know, skill set to kind of equip with that. But there are many business owners that do need that support because they're not quite ready to let go and can fully delegate and fully trust and fully support 
you know, that system or that process that you put in place. It does require some mindsets, some shifting into seeing themselves more as a CEO versus a freelancer or versus, you know, just somebody who's got this little side business. And there is quite a bit of it and it, it can't be rushed. It comes with the development of your relationship with that person. But I would say there's definitely a larger mindset percentage than I ever thought when I got into this role. <laughs> and it's, it is that relationship piece. Once you become comfortable in that relationship and there's trust built in the relationship, like I work with clients like intensely for maybe six to 12 months at a time and you're talking to each other constantly and it's the building of that relationship over time that really gets them moving from where they were thinking about where they needed you to then, oh, this is what I really needed and this is how this works. So yeah, it's interesting to hear you say the same as like, it really comes down to that relationship that you're building with them and how that moves over time. So good. All right. So director of operations, when does someone know that they need a director of operations to come into their business? When, when is the point that they're like, how do I know I need this person and I don't need just a someone to offload my social media to or someone to offload my podcast editing to? How will they know when that's the time for them? Yeah, great question. So, I mean, there's multiple components to it. First, there is a financial piece. You have to financially be able to bring on a leadership member in your team, knowing that they are not the implementer, right? They are not the one doing the posting. They are not the one scheduling out your emails or building the back end tech funnels. So you have to have all those people on your team already and be able to bring in somebody else to kind of oversee that. So part of it is financial. So you, you should be looking probably at being at the $500,000 mark or higher to bring in a director of operations. But the second part of that is looking at how are you spending your day? And, you know, if you are spending the majority of your day answering questions from your team or managing different things going on between your team members, then that's a good indication that you're ready for someone to come on in a leadership capacity. I like to think of, you know, are you becoming like that bottleneck of your business where people cannot continue with their tasks until you've given them this next answer or this next piece, then you know that you're spending the bulk of your day just managing your team instead of actually being able to do that creative work, the networking, the content creation, whatever it is that you need to do to take your business to that next level. So that's typically when I say like, if you're spending your days <laughs> managing your team or always in your project management system, trying to check on things and answer things and move things around, then it's likely time to bring in a leadership member. And so director of operations sits in a leadership role and manages the team, manages the processes. Is the director of operations more like the two I see? So like, like second in charge. Yes. So, yeah. So they're like the right hand person. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So mm. it would be like your CEO and then next would be your director of operations. Mm. And then they, they would oversee your team members, right? So they would then be, like I said, responsible for your projects and making sure they're running on time and running on budget and everybody's delivering what they need to do at the level or the outcome that's expected for that company, right? Typo free links where they're supposed to be everything kind of functioning as is. And then they're managing the team as well, making sure everybody is performing the right role and that 
they're doing, you know, you kind of do some performance management there. If it's not happening or if a team member is constantly missing deadlines, they're, they're also kind of trying to navigate that and figure out what's going on there. They're managing your team culture too, which is really, really big mm. in the online space because everybody's all over the world. How do you create a cohesive team culture so that people can see that they're part of something bigger and not just somebody just doing a particular task, you know, on their task list. Um, so that's another big part of it. And then they're also helping you make those strategic decisions moving forward based on the data that you're collecting. So they'll help you see like when we're putting this kind of time or this kind of money into this project or into this piece, is it making sense? Are we getting that return on that investment piece? And your director of operations is, is able to take that step back and have a look at all those moving pieces and help the CEO make really strategic decisions about the future growth of the company based on the information that they're gathering. I oh, love that so much. And when you get to that level, like I found that when my business just got over, you know, just over that quarter million mark, you're like, oh, now it's becoming a, a beast and I need team and I need managed team and performance and management and systems and, you know, and all of that. So like for me, when my business hit, you know, over that quarter million mark, it was between quarter million, half a million that I'm like, oh, how how heavenly would it be if someone just came and managed that side of it, you know, and let me carry on just doing what I do best that, yeah, that's always what I thought would be just the bee's knees, you know, <laughs> when I think about my service business and the agency that I was running. Still, I don't have a director of operations in place, um, even though, you know, my business is over that half million dollar mark. I still don't have a director of operations. And because I suppose one of my things is how will my staff feel when I relinquish the reins from them reporting to me to them reporting to somebody else in that leadership role who perhaps is new to my business. How does that usually go down when you're working with clients who already have a team that's established? Yeah, there there is definitely that onboarding period. So it's like not the day you hire your director of operations are you kind of stepping out. So there is that that part of that onboarding. And whenever I enter a new company, one of the things I do is I'm very cognizant of sitting down and setting up times like 30 minute meetings with each team member to really kind of say, okay, let me know about you and what your role is and how things are going. And is there an area that you're finding challenging or something in the business that you think could be run more efficiently and really listening to the value and the expertise that they have from being in that business? And then typically once they see that and they see me starting to make some changes and start to implement some of their suggestions and really taking their knowledge and expertise to heart, then they start to see like, oh, okay, this isn't somebody that's just going to come in and like, do her own thing. She's really values our input. She really is listening to what we have to say. And she's trying to make all of our lives easier. And so then there is that, again, that team building portion where they start to think of, okay, this is the right person for me to now take this problem to rather than the CEO, because she's going to be able to work a solution, or we're going to be able to kind of come up with some kind of scenario to fix this issue and make my life a lot easier too. So I think there is, like I said, there's that onboarding period, but it's really important to right off the hop to start building relationships with the existing team members so that they don't necessarily see you as like 
a new boss that you know knows nothing about the company but as somebody who truly is invested in their growth with the company and wants to make their lives easier and you're kind of the person that's going to try and facilitate all of that and how much do you need to know about the business that you're going into you know so there's some technical expertise so if you're going into a health business who are delivering health service or if you're going into someone who's delivering event management or someone who's delivering digital marketing like how much do you need to know about the business that you're going into that's a great question so as a director of operations the role is to know the operations and how it can be applied to that business type so if you're dealing with a service-based business a product-based business a brick and mortar business you really just kind of need to know the business type to know what kinds of operational things you're going to be kind of coming across in terms of not necessarily knowing anything about photography or branding or supplements or something like that that's not as big a problem because as you're onboarding into the company, first of all, you're going to sit down with the CEO and you're going to do their strategic planning. You're going to find out their vision and their mission and, and what their products are. And you're going to learn all of those things as you're onboarding into the company. But again, there's other people in those seats. There's somebody else that's coming up with the content. I'm not creating the content, so I don't necessarily need to know the nitty gritty of all of those fine points and the top tips or ways to do this because that's, that's not my role. Somebody else, typically the CEO is still doing that content creation. My role is to look at how can we make this efficient? What's our return on investment for this time? You know, if we're paying for an editor to edit these videos, right? Are we getting more views from the edited video versus the real vulnerable lives that we're just doing on the fly and sit back and look at that versus necessarily looking at, do I know anything about brand photography? Not, not really, but I do know about operations and that's where my value is in the business. Great. So if someone's looking to engage with a director of operations or get that type of person into their business because they're right there, they don't necessarily need someone who knows anything about their industry? No, because you're hiring them for their operations expertise. And just by onboarding into your company, they are going to learn about your industry. They are going to learn about your products and your services and all of those things because they're going to be starting to collect data on them. They're going to be starting to set up processes around them. And also they're going to interact with your team. So your team members are, you know, have who have been working in your business are going to know a little bit more about that. But it's not necessary for me to know about brand photography or interior design as a whole when I get started, because again, I'm going to learn as I go about those kinds of things, but my area of expertise is in operations and that's not, that's why you're hiring. You're not hiring me to be a second CEO in your business or a content creator in your business where I might have to know more about the industry. You're hiring me for the operational side of things. Perfect. Excellent, Kristen. Well, like I could go on and keep talking about and exploring all of these things, but I really wanted to keep these episodes, you know, quite short and succinct and full of good value, which you've really outlined how a director of operations can help a business and given us a little look behind the scenes of your business to see how you are structuring your business right now the things that you've been thinking about and what works for you and how you serve your clients. So I really appreciate you coming in and sharing all of that goodness with us. But can you share with us how people can connect with you if they want to talk more with you with you about the business of Director of Operations or engaging with a Director of Operations? Yes. Yeah, so I am primarily on Instagram. 
while I'm not dancing on the reels, I love DMs. And so if you would love to shoot me a DM and let me know what your biggest takeaway is from this episode or any question you might have about interacting with a director of operations, I would love to see you in my DMs on Instagram. Thanks, Kristen. Appreciate you being here today and I will talk to you again real soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sandra. Thanks for joining Kristen and I today. I really do hope that you found this episode valuable in taking a dive behind the scenes of Kristen's business as a solopreneur and a service provider that she is working directly with her clients, delivering a done-for-you service. And that how she has also got support in her business to support her helping her clients while she's not an agency model. So that was super interesting to take a dive behind and look at the kind of support she has as a solopreneur. Also really good to know when you'll need a director of operations in your business. I've also heard this position called an integrator. I've been implementing the EOS system into my event agency, which is the entrepreneurial operating system. And it's all documented. Well, all you can read about that in the book Traction. This episode really gave you a look at when your business might be ready to bring on that integrator or director of operations role. And the skill set needed by that person isn't someone who necessarily knows your industry. They just need to know how to operate a business and what to look at in your business to help you focus on the things that only you can do in order to continue to grow and scale your business. If you're not quite there yet, but you want to be more organized and get your system sorted so that you can finally delegate and automate the tasks in your business in order to reclaim your time, then go get your hands on my business systems cheat sheet at sandrajulian.co forward slash systems. And then before you go today, I would really love if you could hit subscribe so that you get new episodes when they're released every week. And if like me, you listen on the Apple podcast app, then I'd appreciate if you could rate the show and leave a quick review. What this does is it helps us get this podcast while it's in its early stages out to more people who are interested in looking behind the scenes of a service-based business and running their business their way. So a quick rate and review would be highly appreciated and I will give you a shout out on the podcast in the next episode. Alrighty, my friends, that's all I have for you this week. I will talk to you again real soon.